Hey, Benji. Hey, Jay. Can you tell me maybe a funny story about your book tour, from your book tour? I don't know about funny, but I'll tell you something that unbelievable that just happened. Tell, tell. Put your seatbelt on for this one. I was contacted by the Aleph Institute, which goes into prisons and supports Jewish prisoners and helps with the rehabilitation. It's an initiative that was started by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the, the Rebbe, who felt that putting people behind bars and just letting them sit there was extremely antithetical to Jewish values. So specifically geared to Jewish prisoners um, to work to rehabilitate them, to help them to um, be able to be uh, re, um, uh, re, I don't know what the word is, Rehabilitated. Rehabilitated into society. And uh, so that was contacted by uh, a member of the organization and they want to order 50 books to give out to prisoners as a pilot program and hopefully to provide every single uh, member of, of people who they facilitate towards uh, their services towards um, to get a copy of the book. Uh, it, it was so meaningful to them. So that for me was so meaningful and so and so profound. That's beautiful. So let's call to order the Folsom Prison Blues edition of Mindful Work. We'll be right back. What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein key industry executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Welcome back to the Mindful Work podcast, uh, a show where we talk about uh, Jewish ideas related to mindfulness and then try to figure out how we apply them in the workplace. We think this is a unique place where people aren't really talking about how to apply Jewish mindfulness. So we decided to put this little party together and we hope you're enjoying the journey with us. With us today, as always, is our our rabbi, our doctor, our spiritual advisor, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, author of Living in the Presence, a Jewish mindfulness guide for everyday life. I recommend it highly. I'm on my third reading, uh, available on Amazon and all other places where you might buy Jewish books and other books. Um, and now apparently in prisons across America. Congratulations. I'm waiting for the audiobook version, please. Uh, let's, let's go for it. And Dan should read it. <laughs> and also with us today, as always, um, our rabbi, our friend, Rabbi Jason Rosen, dear friend of all of ours. Hello, Jason. Rabbi is a uh, executive in Israel's burgeoning high-tech industry, Israel 2.0, 3.0. Um, and together, we like to talk about uh, all the issues facing America. And I'm Dan Cohen, CEO for 20 years of Full Court Press Communications, public relations and communications firm in the Bay Area, and now living in Israel. Um, so I wanted to ask Benji, who has now just come back from America after his very first book tour, to share with us some of what he experienced on that book tour. Because I think for everybody who's listening to the show, maybe they have questions about the book. We'd encourage you to visit the website. Mindful show, mindfulwork.show um, and email us questions. But for those of you who haven't had a chance, what we thought we'd do today is maybe look at the top five questions that um, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein or Benji has been asked 
as he's been doing his book tour across uh, America uh, and even readings here in Israel. So, Benji, first question. Uh, I know you said, and I was at a book reading where this happened, just what inspired you to write this book? I think uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, I tell a story where I see a picture of the Dalai Lama, the leader of Tibetan Buddhism, and under a picture at a bus stop, um, it just features the words, my religion is kindness. And I was really struck by that. It, 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 hit, a, it hit a nerve because we all know that our religion also, and any, most of the world religions preach kindness, which is something that we severely lack in, in this day and age and, and, and unconditional regard and, and, and goodwill. And the Torah says, love your fellow neighbor like you love yourself. And it wasn't the first thing that came to mind when it came to how I was taught my Judaism, how I was shown what was important in my spiritual values. And it's become a, a process of both professional and personal development. And what emerged from that was this book of how really focusing on the present moment and how we can connect to the divinity within um, is what really one of our spiritual treasures that we have in Judaism. And it's been either um, relegated to the, to the backseat or it's just something that we're not really focused on because we get so caught up in the nuts and bolts and we get lost in the trees and not able to really see the forest of, of real connectivity to, to, to our higher power and to one another and to our, to our, to our true selves. On previous episodes, you've talked about sort of a definition of mindfulness and that John Kabat-Zinn has a great definition. I wonder, would you mind bringing that back? Because I think it will help inform the next couple of questions you said you've been getting at the book reading. So remind me again, what is John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness? He defines mindfulness concisely as paying attention in the present moment, non-judgmentally, like your life depended on it. And I think the piece that sort of we add to it is the ability to connect to the divinity that's in the present moment as well. It's not just being present for, for the present sake, which has tremendous therapeutic benefits, but the fact is it also has tremendous spiritual benefits. And if we're able to cultivate these mindsets to have this accepting non-judgmental um, present moment awareness to the fact that there is divinity right here and right now, it can be transformative, not just therapeutic, but it can be, absolutely spiritually transformative and it, it just colors everything in a different in a different shade benji I, I see you as a guide as an expert in mindfulness and uh, one of the things that i was curious is uh, how and where did you learn all this it started it started i think in in graduate school where i started to learn these ideas um because there's a big shift now in the psychological field to more eastern philosophical ideas and when i say eastern philosophical i'll quote the great Ravari kaplan's that's all who says that Judaism was also an Eastern philosophical religion. Mm. And so we, we tend to think that meditation, a lot of people will look at meditation and they'll see it as a dirty word, or they'll be like, that's not our tradition, that's not our faith. And thank God for Rav Ari Kaplan, and thank God for tzaddikim like the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Pia Zesner, and contemporary tzaddikim and, and rabbis and teachers like Rav Moshe Weinberger and uh, Rav Avram C. Kluger, Rav Judah Michel, Rav Shmuel Braun. And uh, people like that who are saying, hey, this is our tradition as well. And so initially looking at it from a clinical perspective and then starting to see how can that affect my own spiritual and personal life to the point where I did my dissertation. I did an eight-week course on fathers of children with developmental disabilities and did an eight-week MBSR course, mindfulness-based stress reduction 
course for the, because a lot of people, a lot of the parenting literature focuses specifically on distressed moms because moms tend to be the primary caregivers. And I said, hey, wait a second, we're not looking at the dads. So that was my uh, dissertation. And from that, because I had to do the dissertation, because I needed to lead the group, I needed to go through an eight-week protocol. And from that, I've now entered into a teaching certificate program where hopefully in the next two years, I'll be a licensed mindfulness teacher. But specifically from the book, um, just starting to to bring more and more of that into our own daily lives um, from spiritual practices. And it's become it's informed my, my personal practice and my work at Camp Hask as well, profoundly. Well, I want to ask you about Camp Hask. And I, I know that in, in the book reading I was at and in a couple of the book readings in America, you were asked the question, where did this book come from? Like it, it, it obviously it emerges out of, of quite a bit of background, but where did this book actually come from? It came from two places. One is that I think I told the story at the, at the book reading where a colleague who I was working with at Yeshiva University at the time uh, had just moved to Israel and I texted him saying, uh, welcome to Israel. And he's doing some sort of mental health app. I said, good luck disrupting the mental health scene with your, with your new endeavor. And he said, thank you so much. He says, perhaps it's as bold as reclaiming mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, who is the leading teacher of mindfulness in the West and who is a profound impact on my life. And it was such a nice compliment. He sent to me right before Shabbos. And it really resonated with me. And I sat with it and it sort of was like ringing in my head. And I texted him right after Shabbat and said, dude, He's a rabbi. I said, Rabbi, thank you so much. That was such a, that's such a thoughtful compliment. It was really meaningful. And he said, I got it from you. He said, when we were working together at Yeshiva University, you were really bothered by the fact that every single teacher of Buddhism in the West right now, or at least leading teacher, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sylvia Borstein, Tara Brock, John Kabat-Zinn, they're all tribe members. Mm. And I said, what did they miss that they didn't see in their own tradition and faith? that they had to go to a different source and find it. And it, it pained me. I said, because we have it too. I'm not saying that, I'm not discounting that other traditions don't have it, but I'm saying when we have it in our own traditions, in our own faith, and it's something that we've gotten away from, can I help be a, a, at least a part of, of that re- reclamation? Reclamation? Yeah, reclamation. Reclamation of, of bringing it back. And, and secondly, I started seeing how these ideas were so applicable to the to the staff that I'm working with at Hask, and, and Hask is a magical place. I, I, I recommend checking it out. Hask is a seven week program for individuals with uh, profound developmental disabilities. It's the it's the unique program is that it's seven weeks, and it's staffed by by eighteen and nineteen twenty year olds who are just selflessly giving of themselves. And initially, I was there hired to work with the the, the campers, the clients there. And I saw that there was such a tremendous need to support the staff because they are really going through a lot of things. And I started giving weekly sichot and a lot of the, the fodder that emerged from those talks um, came to be formed into this book. Mm, that's beautiful that what I heard you say is that um, some of this is the idea of reclaiming thousands of years of, of the greatest Jewish minds in the world. And some of it was trying to figure out how to transmit that knowledge 18, 19, and 20 year olds who are having to deal with new stresses in the moment over an extended period of time. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Um, one other question I heard that was asked is what was left out of the book? What do you wish you'd written about or what didn't you have space for or what didn't jibe with, um, you know, w- w- with what ended up in the final, what, what's on the cutting room floor? At least from my perspective, 
Um, what got left out was tefillah, and I really grappled with it. I, I grappled so tefillah, with tefillah's tefillah prayer. prayer okay. I grappled with prayer, and I was speaking with one of my teachers about it, and he said this entire book is about prayer because really the Gemara, the Talmud says that a person, halavai, like would it be that a person could pray the entire day? And really the truth is prayer is just that sort of formal practice that should inform our day-to-day actions of that informal. I mean, to compare it to going and sitting on silent retreat or, or doing a meditation practice on the mat, if it doesn't inform your day-to-day practices, if you're, if you're, if you're going to meditate for 30 days and then go into the boardroom and just rip the entire staff a new one, then you really have sort of missed the point. And so really this is about a Jewish mindfulness guide to daily life. And so really it's, it's all a prayer. And it's how our entire lives should be embodying these principles. And uh, so hopefully it's not left out. It's just not in the formal sense. But really tefillah is meditative. And I would love to get back to that. And, and, and we're talking about how to bring it into schools. And so hopefully that's going to be part of the goal in terms of curriculums and, and, and our own daily life in prayer. You're talking about prayer and in the formal practice of prayer. I remember in my days as a Jewish educator, I think that was the one thing formal. that... Uh, formal, a formal Jewish. You're, you are you are a Jewish educator. No, thanks. But um, that was the number one struggle: was how to make prayer something meaningful. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, life is a prayer. But <clears throat> how would then can we take actually the formal act of prayer and then infuse it with this meaning of mindfulness? I think would be a great gift for for Jewish educators and for me personally. Let me just riff off of what you said. I mean, as you were talking, I, I got this visual of, and I know some of this podcast is supposed to be about work. So it was almost like the structured prayer every day that Jews are asked or Jews choose to take on three prayers a day is almost like plugging your computer into the network, right? You plug the network into the side of your computer. Whereas the challenge of mindfulness is it's almost like walking around and having to hit the Wi-Fi or having to hit the 4G where it's supposed to infuse or inform everything you're doing through the day. And as I know, as I was reading the book, that really struck me is this idea of this isn't our relationship with the divine and our relationship with our spirituality is an all day, everyday thing. And it is just about being in the moment, which is a real struggle. I think we all struggle with it. It's about showing up. It's about showing up to our, it's about showing up to our, to our work. It's about showing up to our daily lives. It's about showing up to our families and, and prayer, you know, sometimes we want to, you know, talking about something we talked about previously is that we have these expectations mm. about how it's supposed to be doing. And really, it's just about showing up. And once we leave those expectations at the door, I saw this uh, Rav Froman, who is the previous rabbi of Tekoa. He's got this little book of these unbelievable... Wait, can I ask a question? That's yeah. not Abe Froman, the no. Sausage King of Chicago. The sausage is it? King of Chicago. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> sausage King of Chicago. That's a Ferris Bueller reference. We should, for our... we should watch that movie yes, together and, and just... Yes, okay. We should have a list of those. Okay, so let's... Recommended viewing. Yeah, exactly. We'll put it on the website. He says in Hebrew, he says, Al-Tilchatz, stop stressing. It's not the time every single time you go to prayer, you're supposed to be connecting heaven and earth. Sometimes you'll get one of those and it's a little kiss from the divine, but otherwise it's just about showing up. But when we put this pressure on ourselves that it has to look a certain way and it's really hard because a lot of times we got to make the train. Yeah. We got, we got to get to that work meeting. You know, it's Rosh Chodesh and it's like, ooh. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's, it's really about when we just, 
we, when we look at tefillah and we just started reading Ethics of the Fathers, which is something we can really get into because it's timely. It's not even though we're reading at this period of, of time. You know, the three things the world stands on is Torah, Avoda, and Gemilut Chasadim. Torah is, is the study and the practice. Avoda is tefillah. It's work. Yeah. It's showing up. Yeah. And it's saying like, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And it's like, exactly what you were talking about from the Rav about Yisurin. And check out our previous episodes. Of just like that, this, that, this, you know, dissatisfaction. It's like, that's a good sign. That's a good, it means you're alive. It means you're in you're the engaged. program. It's you're engaged. And, and you know what? It's really hard. Feel good about it. It's that, it's that pull in the muscles when you're going to the gym, you're doing that long bike ride. Right? And then give me Chasadim. It has to be with, uh, with, with loving kindness and compassion. And we have it in our faith. And we just, and again, I'm talking about myself and I'm not identifying anyone. We get lost in the details. It's like, hey, what really matters? And hopefully the show is about that, bringing it to our lives and bringing it to our work and feeling proud of ourselves. Well, I was moved. Uh, we'll, we'll call this our last question. Um, this is a personal question. I don't know if this was asked at any of the book readings, but you know, sometimes the, the names on the book jackets really signify how um, important and how 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 others might validate the importance of this piece of work. And um, there are names in here, Rob Jude Michelle, you obviously talked about, Talban Shahar, the happiness guru of, of the world. Um, but I think the one that struck me most, and for probably about half of the people who will consume this podcast, this name will mean nothing. And I think that it would be a shame to not spend a moment to just talk about um, Harav Moshe Weinberger. So he writes on the back of the book, living in the presence is a work of art that could only have been written by someone who is truly living in the present. My dear friend, Dr. Benji has his finger on the pulse of our turbulent generation. One that is seeking more than ever a practical path of mindfulness and a Muna spiritual engagement to live by. This is a treasure. I'm just going to let, let that sink in for a moment, hear it. What I'd ask is, you know, while standing on one foot, tell us who Rav Moshe Weinberger is and his contribution to this understanding of mindfulness and Jewish spirituality in the world. Okay. Um, give me a second here. Because uh, this book would not have happened without Rav Weinberger. And to have his haskama, to have his approbation, to have him say those kind words, um, really validated the five plus years that it took to actually just get this all down. And much of it, as you'll see throughout the book, is based on on his teachings. Mm. And it's something that I grappled with because I really, really needed this to be an authentic Jewish voice and not some sort of cockamamie way of bringing Buddhist and, and Taoist ideas and sort of just putting a Jewish wrapping around and saying to see that these are coming from the wellsprings of our traditions and our faith. And to have that approbation from someone who I see in this generation and he's affably known as the captain. He's the captain of the ship because he just gets it. And if you have the opportunity, check him out. He's on whyutorah.org and he has over 4,000 shurim and he is a tzaddik. He is an enlightened person who happens to be able to be fully in this world, have an encyclopedic knowledge of both the revealed and hidden aspects of the Torah and able to give Good sound advice. And he really embodies Yishuf Adat. He is a personal role model of boundaries 
and how to have a disciplined life and how to have complete empathy and, and love for your fellow being and to be able to learn Chabad Hasidut and Breast of Hasidut and Rav Kook and to see how they all connect. Because what we need most in the world, especially after the terrible tragedy that happened on the last day in Pesach and Poway, of seeing that that, that doesn't just come from antisem, it comes from hatred, it comes from ignorance. And we need more messages of love and acceptance and tolerance. And we can hear rabbis from our own tradition speaking disparagingly about other groups. And once you're that, like, whoa, that's not our tradition. And again, that doesn't mean that people don't behave in ways that aren't in consonance with what the way they should be behaving. But how do we approach them? How do we speak about them? And ever since I've been exposed to his teachings and then subsequently been able to have a personal relationship with him, um, he's changed my life. And uh, if there's anything that comes out of this book, it's coming from him. And he's and he's a tradition. And he's just keeping the tradition going. And he'll say he's always talking about the same thing, and he's not. But he'll say it's always centered around one axis: Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Big people see the unifying whole in everything, and see the connectivity. And when we connect with ourselves, we can connect to the other. We can connect to the world around us. It's messianic. I mean, he says that this is, I'm not so bold to say this, but that this is the Torah of the Messiah. Mm. And we believe, what does that mean we believe? We believe that there's a better, and we can taste it in the present moment. That's the goal of the book is to taste in the present moment, to taste what that would feel like. Again, we get glimpses of it. And like you said, it's so hard. It's so hard to be present because that is messianic. Yeah. That's, that's for like, but, but we have to struggle and we have to strive for it. And if we, if we accomplish that, we can taste it, you know, on Sabbath, on Shabbat. We can have a taste of the world to come. And when we see when something, when evil happens, evil exists in the world. And to be able to say, in spite of that, I still believe, there, there is evil. The person who shot a woman because of her beliefs, he's an evil person, right? We're not spinning that to be. There's evil in the world. We're not there yet. But we could taste it. We can have moments of redemption. Karva el nafshi ge'ala, right? We can, we can redeem ourselves. And when we do that, we can redeem everyone around us, but it starts at home. And so, yeah, if you can, if you can listen to Rav Weinberger, if Rav Weinberger's ever listened to this, what's up? No, but he's the captain of the ship. He just gets it. Yeah. And we know, we know rabbis, you know, a lot of Torah. It, that doesn't speak to me anymore. You know, Torah is beautiful, yeah. but if it's all up here, if it's all intellectual, if it's all cognitive and it's not coming from here, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's what we're really trying to do. And hopefully if that book can, can, can open that, that heart, that heart channel up, then I'll feel very blessed. Well, I wouldn't um, be a good podcast host if I didn't put you on the spot and ask you in all of your travels promoting the book, knowing that Mindful Work, the podcast, was in play. Was there any experience or any thought or any question or any moment during that journey where you said, ah, this would be really good to share with the the listeners who would probably be focused a little bit more about this mindfulness stuff at work. Any moment, any thought? In terms of how it would impact how, their work how lives? How it would impact their work lives or how it might be useful for the folks listening? It's just it's just so gratifying, especially you know with the feedback we've gotten from the podcast and from friends and family who you know sort of bought the book as a, a courtesy almost. Sure. And then getting these texts... Presumably from the bathroom. Although don't read it in the bathroom because there's a lot of Torah in the book. <laughs> Getting these texts of like, dude, I didn't, I was standing at, at work and I was thinking about how I was about to lose it on my, uh, my boss. 
And I stopped and I paused and I, or, or, or I was at Shul and I was so upset about how long it was going. He said, I was standing at Shul with my talus around my kids because they were doing the blessing, the priestly blessings. And I stopped and I was, he was just annoyed about something. And I stopped and said, everything is just the way it's supposed to be. And I, and I'm like, wow. And his wife was standing next to me and she's like, it's true. And so to know that we can have these moments, right? John kabat says these moments, these small, they're not small. The reason why Rav Chalat became a Talmud of Rav Kook is because he was a gadol in everything. Everything. He was great. Great doesn't mean that you were like the, the, meaning every single thing you brought that presence to because there's nothing small. And so we can, we can bring that into our day-to-day lives. There's no more mundane job. You're doing the Lord's work. Beautiful. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, thank you for letting us um, maybe take a buy a ticket for the road trip to your book tour. We appreciate it. Um, Hopefully we've shared many of the questions that you would have. And if you have more questions, you can find our email at mindfulwork.show. You can hit contact, send us an email. Half of you probably have Benji's email. Feel free to send it directly to him. Um, And we look forward to catching you the next time on mindfulwork.show. 